Welcome back to Jeff and Julie Move to France During a Global Pandemic. This is Chapter 102. On today's episode, we conclude our two-part series on the beautiful Canary Island of Lanzarote. Today, we focus in on the surprising and amazing wine industry that has been a part of this island's identity for hundreds of years. Okay, before we get going today, I just want to acknowledge uh, some, I don't know who the name of this writer, but he or she works for the Travel Bible. And it's just nice to see somebody out there with a similar sense of humor about people as myself. You've got a funny look on your face. Well, this is great. Okay. Because I know last week I was a little hard on the Brits. Mm Mm-hmm. When we were talking about Lanzarote and uh, the ones that seem to frequent this location with the no shirts and the big bellies and everything. Well, anyway, uh, last year in September, the Travel Bible came up with the top 10 worst countries for traveling. Okay. The worst travelers as represented by their country. And this is meant to be funny. You know, like, hey, if you don't like Ricky Gervais... Don't watch Ricky Gervais. And in this case, hey, if you don't like this stuff, then just turn it off. All right. So what's number 10? Number 10 is Germany, which okay. I thought, you know what? would be higher up. I thought it would be lower, well, higher up, like closer to number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is good news for Germany. It is. Because they get a bad rap. So uh, from the land of precision engineering, punctuality, and tourists who treat vacationing like a military operation, number 10 is Germany, the overprepared overlords. Mm. German tourists are the ones with the itineraries that account for every minute of the day, including leisure time scheduled between 3.45 and 4.15 p.m. They're the ones at the beach. Oh, this I love. They're the ones at the beach at 6 o'clock in the morning putting the towels down. It's mine. My place. My place. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) that's true. (laughs) You go to one of those resorts and there they are. Yep. (laughs) 6 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that's right. We put our towels down on the chest. Uh, They're the only people who read the entire user agreement before signing on to the hotel's Wi-Fi. (laughs) So they say, chill out, guys. And for me, I hope that they're at least uh, chilled enough to find this funny. I'm going to skip a few here. Okay. And You're then I'll give up you the to whole... what number? Number seven, France. Oh. France. I would not have thought that. Well, here's the thing about France that uh, the travel Bible concludes. The French exporting wine, cheese, and tourists who think every other country's cuisine is a crime against humanity. <laughs> French tourists are the ones in the Italian restaurants asking for the real olive oil. <laughs> yeah. And they're the ones in the Japanese sushi bars inquiring if the chef has ever actually been to France to learn how to properly cook fish. Mm-hmm. And don't even think about offering them fast food. The look of horror on a French tourist's face when confronted with a Big Mac is the same look you'd get if you asked them to surrender their passport to become a mime. <laughs> <laughs> now, having lived here for three plus years, I kind of like their attitude towards fast food. And as a result, there are no obesity problems to speak of here few. in France. There are few. Yeah, yeah, but nothing like, nothing yeah, like. Yeah, and they take great pride in, you know, the the production of their food. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the quality of their food. Oh, how fresh. And, and they also take a lot of, I think they're probably the inventors of using food from the region, you know? Yep, local and dining. Local dining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as far as obesity is concerned, nothing like number four, the United States. 
the loud and clueless. The good old U.S. of A. exporting freedom, democracy, and tourists who think every country is the 51st state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're not going to find very many Americans in our holiday destinations here. No, that's true. American tourists are easy to spot. They're the ones wearing baseball caps, college sweatshirts, and a bewildered expression when they find out that not everyone accepts U.S. dollars or speaks English. (laughs) That's good. But uh, my personal favorite thing about Americans is they're also the ones looking for a Bud Light in a British pub. It's just, you know, come on, expand your horizons, guys. Uh, And number three. Canadians? No, no. Number three. Our friends from the United Kingdom, the sunburnt hooligans. (laughs) Of course, it's the Brits. They travel thousands of miles to exotic locations and spend the entire time in an English pub watching football. It's kind of true. British tourists are notorious for their love of alcohol and their inability to handle the sun. (laughs) How many people in Lanzarote, where it wasn't even that hot, were just beet red? Lobster red. Lobster red. Yeah. Yeah, seriously, these guys turn into lobsters faster than you can say fish and chips. And... Don't get us started on the football hooliganism. It's as if every time England loses a match, British tourists feel the need to console themselves by turning the local square into a scene from Mad Max. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And and we're going to skip to number one, and then we're going to go to number nine. Oh, okay. Number one is China. And this is, again, a list of uh, the worst travelers by country. Yeah. Well, Uh, because they travel in groups, don't they? Well, not only that, but uh, they are the ones that top the list with the selfie sticks. Oh, that, yeah. And, and you know, they're just always on a mission to document every single second of their trip, no matter how inappropriate or inconvenient. All I can think of when I see the Chinese with their sticks and the filming is the poor bastard back in China who's going to be forced to watch all this crap. That's all I can think of. Right, right. And number nine on this list, you never would have called it, but you did, Canada. Canada. The apologetic attention seekers. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's coming. It's coming. (laughs) Wait for it. But you know, and this is why you got to be able to laugh at this stuff. If you were one of these people mentioned, you got to be able to laugh at your own thing. This is hilarious for Canada. The land of maple syrup, hockey, and tourists who are so nice, it's actually quite annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Please take my chair. Canadian tourists are the ones who will apologize for everything, including things they didn't even do. Bumped into a chair? Sorry. (laughs) Someone stepped on your foot? Sorry. Volcano erupts? (laughs) Sorry. Sorry must have been something we said, eh? It's raining. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But don't let the politeness fool you. Canadians are attention seekers. Now, this is funny, and it's dead true. Okay? They're the ones sewing Canadian flags on their backpacks so everyone knows just how friendly they are and how un-American they are. (laughs) Well, I get that. They want to draw a distinction between being American or a U.S. citizen Mm -hmm. and being Canadian because I think there's pride in being Canadian and and nice. And we sound similar. So yes, to, to most people. To, to mo- no, sorry, to most Europeans. To most Europeans. So yes. we come over here, and we want to say, no, no, hang on, mm-hmm. not from. But then you know, like I've heard that Americans put the Canadian flag on their backpacks. As yeah, because well. they they don't want to be mistreated. Yeah. All right. So here it is. Quickly, the top ten list. Uh, ten is Germany. Nine is Canada. Eight is Australia. The down and under overachievers. France is seven. India is six. The bargain hunting swarm. Mm. Uh, Five is Russia. The vodka-fueled invaders. 
uh, U.S., United Kingdom, Israel is number two, the Holy Land Commandos, and China number one, the Selfie Stick Conquerors. So there you go. There's your top ten list of the worst travelers by country, thanks to Travel Bible from last year. And I feel vindicated for my comments last week. Okay. That's all I have to say. Well, yeah. They weren't that bad. I was just, and you know what? I was just simply reflecting what we saw, which was what we saw. Yeah, you you weren't lying. No. And it, anecdotal. It, it, fine. Yes, yes, but you know there were certain areas on the island that were more refined. Uh, yep, yep, um, and some that were less. Yeah. So there so. you go. It's mm-hmm. it's it's something for everybody over there in Lanzarote. But one of the things that uh, is going on here, it's now it's epidemic. The, the, uh, the tractors, it's yeah, nuts. Yeah, the farmers are, the movement is becoming huge, and uh, a lot of huge tractors are heading up to, to Paris um, to block the roads. Uh, they want to be heard. They want to let the French government know that uh, they're overregulated, um, that foreign products are coming in that have lesser uh, rules and regulations and are being sold at a lower price, which is hurting their livelihood. You know, I'm I'm fine with the the protests and making a name, and I think plugging up the arteries is the is is enough. Spreading feces all over the buildings, burning tires, mm-hmm. uh, it's enough. It's too much. Yeah, it, it's escalating, and I think there's a big big meeting with the the high mucky mucks in the EU because this is an EU issue, not just France, and uh, that's on Thursday. So hopefully there'll be some kind of a solution that will help tamper some of the protests. Unbelievable. Like, check the news out. These tractor things. Oh, it's on CNN. Like, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Oh, it's on CNN. Well, <laughs> then it must. Oh, my God. <laughs> CNN. Well, it's it's European news. They don't often, yeah. you know. Well, well. anyhow. <laughs> let, let's hope that they find some kind of a compromise and that the French farmers can continue. Yeah. Um, so I've got a little procedure happening. It's the same old, you know, it's, it's the old guy procedure, you know, Well, old guy, down the mouth uh, and up the bum. There you go. <laughs> it's old guy, old gal. Yeah. After yeah. a certain age, they recommend that you have this procedure, the right. colonoscopy. And what's the other one? The endoscopy? Yeah. Yeah. From the top down, from the bottom up, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to clean out the sluices at both ends. <laughs> but you know, it's quite different than, than like my procedure, my, my first procedure. Oh, the prep you mean? Yeah. Yeah. The prep was very different. I wasn't put on a low residue diet and, you know, for, th- for three or four days. And, and it, you're thinking this is standard for even. It's standard. It's standard in, in France anyway. To yeah. be on, on a you know a low residue diet, and it makes sense because they want to clear everything out so that they can see things very carefully. You know, sometimes if you you have something that's red or you know it it can be perceived as as blood, and that's not a good thing. So. Yeah, so you don't want to confuse with someone else. I mean, so today is like I'm in tomorrow, so today is uh, explosion day. Yeah, but I've been I've been off the booze since like Sunday, and uh, there are other things that I can't eat. And I've been you know you've been very kind to stock up on the ingredients that I can have, and then as of so noon today is my last meal, and then at five o'clock uh, the fireworks begin. <laughs> <laughs> but then you have to drink, and this, this it did uh, not happen in Canada. Then you have to drink two to three liters of clear liquid. Yeah, it can be water, it can be tea, it can be coffee, it can be. Oh, I don't think it's going to be coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so but you 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 never consume. 
that much liquid. No, and and typically I don't consume that much water, although I have been lately, and it's uh, been to a huge benefit for me. So uh, anyway, you know what? Tomorrow I go in, I have the Michael Jackson juice, I'm out. I'm, MJ I'm, juice, yeah. I'm, I'm back up again, and away we go for breakfast. I'll be fine. Yep. Uh, it's, uh, this is you know not my first rodeo in this department. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I'm I'm happy to be of service. We'll get up early and yeah. And you're lucky. You're the first in. Well, I, I requested that. Yeah. And, I and get our, real hangry otherwise. Yeah. And, and the doctor that we met the <laughs> met Anas- the anesthesiologist. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, he he was really charming. Yeah. You know, and and gave you the lowdown on what was going to happen, you know, during the procedure and what you needed to do to prep. And, you know, we told him that we were Canadian and he looked at us with a real curious look on his face. And he said, what are you doing in this shithole? (laughs) Now, maybe that's because he he conducts colonoscopies. Maybe that's... (laughs) That's his reference base. But it was it was such an the way he did it was so in, in such an innocent fashion because he wanted to find out about Canada and you know we're from Montreal and came from Toronto. And he goes, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> because you know, for the French, many of them want to go to Canada. So I know, I know, and and Julie's trying to explain the we love the countryside and the country and side, but it was so it was so honest yet off the cuff. What are you doing in this shithole? God, we laughed. <laughs> That was very funny. I even understood that. Yeah, I know. Uh, because uh, you've you've taught me a few French swear words or yeah. curse words, I guess. Uh, you could yeah, say. yeah. So that's good. Yeah, we'll be uh, we'll get this all done and and wrapped up tomorrow. It'll yeah, be fine. I think by nine thirty you'll be chowing down. Yeah, let's hope so. All right, let's get to this because uh, we the reason that we had to make two parts to our series about Lanzarote was because of this wine visit and their subsequently their their what we learned their 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 wine industry which is really incredible it's pretty amazing so we decided to go to El Grifo which is a great reputation um El Grifo Grifo is a griffin and a griffin is a mythological ancient animal that is half lion half eagle so it has four legs, huge wings, and a beak. Okay, so right out of Game of Thrones, this one. Well, and but it, no, it's it's been around for thousands of years, and it was it was thought that these mythical animals protected gold and possessions. So you see a lot of their design um, on top of doorways. Um, and didn't Manrique come up with the the main design for the island of the Griffin, Grif, whatever it is? Uh, the Grifo. Yeah, Grifo. Yeah, he did. He well, he came up with the the branding for mm-hmm. the the winery, which is a, a Grifo. And the reason they named their winery El Grifo is that was the name of the town that got that succumbed to the volcano eruption. Oh, back in seven in the seventeen hundreds. Yeah, seventeen thirty to seventeen thirty six. Because this winery uh, started in seventeen seventy five. Yes, and that patch of land, those fifty hectares, were deemed to be the most um, prolific and uh, healthy uh, on the island. And so, when the lava and the ash covered it, they didn't really know what to do. But then, you know, there's a grape that that grows very well. The grape is called Malvasia, which apparently originated in, in Greece. So it grows really well in very oceanic uh, climates and on island cl- uh, climates. So they decided that they would, uh, they would start growing 
um, grapes. And it became very popular on the island. And didn't they start by dropping the seeds or whatever down these fissures, which mm-hmm. were created by the lava rock, and they eventually found root. And then that's when the whole industry took root, really. Yes. And the, the lava, or the picone, as they call it, plays a key part because it insulates the growth. So it keeps the water and the moisture on the plant and, and protects it. And the other thing is, you know, when we've learned this from the Bordeaux winemaking, is that the best soil that you can have for wine growth and for vineyards and and to rid away disease is one uh, that is fantastic with drainage. So, like, you know, the the Bordeaux wines grow in gravel, essentially, Mm -hmm. and the wines in Lanzarote grow in this ash-like... But not ash. Don't think like of little ash. Pebbles, pebbles. Little tiny pebbles of lava. And those pebbles, uh, which are black in color, and you'll mm-hmm. see on the Facebook page, um, they are not only great for drainage, but they themselves retain a lot of moisture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lanzarote gets very little rain. So the ash captures the morning dew, uh, any kind of moisture that's in the air. So it helps hydrate the vines. Right, because the the one thing that they don't do is they don't help them along with any form of irrigation. And so as a result, you know, and, and by the way, they only get like 15 to 20 days of rain a year. Uh-huh. They they get under four inches of rain in a total year. Yes, yeah. So to Julie's point, the majority of this moisture is what gets collected in the morning from the dew. Yeah. So we, we decided that we would take a, a tour. So and, and this vineyard, El Grifo, is really focused on tourism, having people discover their wines, their techniques, their history. So we, uh, Jackie, who was wonderful. Well, the best the best wine tour guide yeah, I think I've ever. Yeah, I think ever, so. And yeah. she went through a thorough description of the process and of, of what this particular bodega, which is a vineyard in Spanish, uh, is doing to be in- innovative. Uh, they don't use pesticides. They uh, use sulfur, though. They use sulfur. Yeah. And, you know, we saw this massive uh, insect cage. Yeah. Not, not a cage, but it looked like a, a hive. Yeah, which and, they built. Which they built, and each housed a different insect for a different purpose. And so, you know, some were there to pollinate, some were there to feed the birds who pollinate in their own way. Um, <laughs> so it was that was very interesting. Another first is they were the first ones to do a winter wine. Oh, yeah, that's right. We right? And, and actually have some photos of some grapes that were just about to be harvested. Uh, I think they're harvested in end of March, early April. Okay. Um, and so, which is a very different process. Usually the grapes are harvested in in June or July. So it's a different cycle. They, they have a different taste. But that's even a different cycle because Bordeaux grapes are September, October. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, I think this particular winery is, is paying attention to detail and making sure that their product is fine. You can order it online. Uh, I don't know if it shipped it ships to North America, but we ordered some, and but that was a fantastic experience. Yeah, she said, when are you going to get home? And we said, okay, we're going to be home on this date, and boom, uh, two days later, the, the wine arrived. So uh, we're going to send this podcast to Jackie because she was just really, I, I, I got to say, we got 
90% of the information we're telling you today from her tour. It was, it, yeah. it was just remarkable. And, and uh, so uh, we will, and we, we, have we had any yet? Oh, yeah, we've had some of the white. We've had some of the white, but we're yeah. saving it for some, some friends of ours. Yeah. Um, and we, she also gave us a tour. So we, the old winery that was built in 17, 1775 has been converted into a museum, which is pretty fascinating. There's all the old barrels that, that the camels used to carry around. Uh, there's the there's old, an old there's old presses in old there. Presses. Oh, and old storage like the uh, the wine vats themselves mm-hmm. were made of tile and cement way way back in the day, and they've they've they kept them. And whose idea was this? Uh, Cesar Manrique. Yeah. He encouraged them because he's all about preserving heritage, uh, letting people know about the Lanzarote culture. And so it, it was a very interesting tour. And then she brought us to the new facility for um, winemaking. And it was built in the 1980s. The 1980s is really when the Lanzarote wines started hitting the international market and getting a reputation. So as we're heading into the new facility, we see oh boy. this crushed tank. Just buckled. Just picture, um, you know, when you, uh, a water, like a water bottle, a one liter water bottle, and it's in your car. And and the lid is tight, and it goes through some heat, and and then it just it just implodes on itself. Well, I, I got a photo of this. Whoever was responsible for not opening the uh, the air on this particular stainless steel mm. buckled like a plastic piece of uh, yeah. a water bottle. Uh, that guy's not around anymore. I don't, I don't, think. I don't think he would. I, be. I don't think he made the cut. Did uh, Did you get a picture of that? I did. So <laughs> okay. I'll put it on the Facebook page at Jeff and Julie moved to France. Pretty remarkable, like nature and just the pressure just. Yeah. So, so they tried to drain it, but didn't open the lid. So in, instead of the water being pulled out, it yeah. crushed it. Just pulled it in. It was really remarkable. The thing that I found most fascinating about the entire uh, wine industry there are the one, two, three different manners in which the plants grow. Mm. And it's it's great. That's why going to the tour at El Grifo is really important. First of all, it's the oldest bodega on the island. But second of all, they have examples of the original manner in which the grapes were uh, were grown. It, it's unfortunately also the least... Uh, productive, right? But right. the yield is not as as important. Exactly, but it's just interesting to see that system and the original pits that were there, uh, and they are called uh, chabocas. Yeah, good. Chabocas, the original. Yeah, yeah. The original. They're, style. they're deep down, and they've got they've got a a, a pretty significant wall right. made out of lava rocks. Yes. And she was explaining that the lava rocks um, let the air through. Well, it, they protect from the wind, mm-hmm. but they also, yeah. Let some some air circulate. Circulate, yeah. So that was kind of interesting. And then the second uh, method that they use is still actually in production in a lot of areas, but it takes up a lot of space. And it's these smaller pits, but individual pits. Mm-hmm. And so around the pits is a wall, and they're spaced quite liberally. So they only yield 300 plants uh, per hectare, huh. whereas, and uh, we'll show you photos of all three of these methods, the new modern method used at El Grifo are rows. But again, 
I mean, it probably takes quite a while to develop these rows because they're stacked with this lava rock to protect from the wind. But these rows, the yield is 900 uh, plants per hectare. Which, yeah, it's it's not uh, it's still not huge, but in this particular region and on the hills, I'm you know here's the other thing: everything kind of has to be hand done because everything's on the hills. The, oh, the, yeah, there there were some tractors in use in the flatter areas, but I was quite surprised by the price of the wines. It was quite reasonable with the understanding that it's very laborious. Yeah, it's all hand picked. Yeah, yeah, so, it's all hand picked. Yeah, there are red varietals as well. Uh, I'm not as familiar with them, but uh, the the wines coming from the bodegas on Lanzarote are, are gaining a real good reputation, outstanding. Well, well I will, I will, uh, I'll tell you what, I'll do a, a commercial for the for the red wine. Now, it's I'm going to say its closest similarity would be um, uh, a red Zinfandel because it didn't it, it lacked a lot of tannin structure and acidity uh. but it was just smooth like velvet I'll tell you what the closest thing I could I could uh, compare it to would be uh, the old Miomi remember that Miomi Pinot Noir from oh, California yeah, yeah. which is nothing like a European Pinot Noir it was very similar to that so very satiny silky but not a lot of uh... anyway I picked up a few bottles of that because it was really, really tasty. It was probably good for, you know, just sipping wine. Uh, if you, or appies. Yeah, that's right. If you want to uh, pair it with, with, pair something with foods, go to uh, go to something from Bordeaux or something like that. Yeah. yeah. The Malvasia grape is, is compared to uh, Semignon, Semignon and, oh. and uh, Sauvignon Blanc. Oh, it was very smooth and, and, <clears throat> yeah. and really great with salads and that kind of thing. White meat. Um, Fish. Yeah, so not a lot of spicy food. Keep it, you know, you keep yeah. it quite, yeah. um, you know, a blend. But uh, uh, we'll we'll find out uh, if it's a hit uh, in a couple of weeks. And I'll post pictures of these wines on our Facebook page as well, so that you can try and find them. I don't know if you can find them in the LCBO or. I doubt it. Yeah. I doubt it. Well, if it's anywhere, it's there because they're the largest. Uh, they're the largest importer. of booze in the world so well yeah but it depends Mafia. on the country like we had we had some british people some some thinner british people that were with us during the <laughs> wine tasting now you're the one <clears throat> and uh uh they were wanting to know if they could get some wine shipped to them and because of brexit the answer is oh, that's right no oh brexit what a mess that's been mm-hmm. yeah that's a whole nother topic isn't it so that was a really fun thing to do yeah and my french phrase of the day is Volcano related. Okay. Well, so you've already hopefully given me one word. <laughs> uh, yes, I have. All right. Okay. I'm ready, and you thank you for the script again. One okay. more time. It's yep, helpful. No problem. Helpful. Yep. Le cœur est un volcan. Dangereux quand il est en activité, laid quand il est éteint. Okay, the heart is. Uh, I think I've got most of this. There's one word in here, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. The heart is a, vel- is a volcano. Yes. Dangerous when it is active. Yes. And L-A-I-D. Well, I know what it means in English, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, in French, uh, uh, I'm going to say uh, uh, harmless when it is quiet. Oh, um, no. Okay. Le is ugly. Oh. Ugly okay. when it is extinguished. Oh. Éteint. 
Oh, extinguished. I thought that was quiet. No, it uh, is. It's not lit. It's not active. Okay, so the heart is a volcano. Dangerous when it's active, and ugly when it is not active. Sure, that's good. All right. Yeah. That's an interesting uh, French phrase. Well, I got some of it. I'm getting you better got, at you it. You got most of it. Mm-hmm. So now you now you know the word le, l a i d. What is it again? Ugly. Ugly. And if it was a, something that was feminine, mm-hmm. that was ugly. Yes. It would be le de. Le de. Well, it's uh, it, it can be ugly in English as well. Anywho, uh, uh, that is today's French phrase of the day. Oh, the last thing I will tell you about our trip. The last thing I will tell you, I got so excited about this because when we were driving in from the airport, I saw this this row of ATVs, like Can-Am ATVs, two-seaters, bumping along the beach. And I'm going, oh, we got to do that. And we were lucky enough to find an opening to be able to go and do that in uh, Costa Teguise. Because apparently people make these bookings months in advance. Yeah, I think January is not necessarily the busiest time right. on Lanzarote. So we were able to uh, to, to make a booking. And uh, you, were, you, had, you had a smile from ear to ear. Like you just couldn't wait. No, I, I, and it turned out to be well worth it. So you, you had an option of two or three hour rides. Two is just plenty. You're bouncing along. You're pretty jiggly by the time it's over. And uh, if you do have to pee or something, forget it. There's there's no trees to go behind. So, you know. Yeah, they tell you to make sure that you yeah. go to the washroom uh-huh. before you go. And plus, you're bouncing up and down. Well, so. and not only that, it is a dust parade. Oh. They give you these... Jackets to wear, you'll see on the Facebook page, but check out how dirty the ATVs are. And uh-huh. there's one picture, I'm not sure if you're going to be able to see it, but there's one picture of Julie, and it's just caked on her face. That, you know what that is? That's the karma wheel. That's, that's, that's you and your face cream coming back to bite you because it just stuck to you like... <laughs> well, yeah. It's too funny. It looked like a fake tan. Yeah, that's what it looked like, but it was really this red dust, Yeah, this Mars-like dust. Yeah. But we had a ball. I know you got a little freaky around uh, some of the cliffs and stuff, but... Well, it can be dangerous. So I... I personally could not drive the buggy especially where we drove it which sometimes had six 60 meter drops and you're at the, on the ledge of a you know of a cliff uh, that's not in my dna i cannot do that no and and just as well because like i have no problem with that stuff love it actually so you need somebody i mean and you're a very good driver i'm not knocking your driving but when you're in a situation like that you can't have somebody who behind the wheel who's afraid you mm. can't have that that's where that's a recipe for disaster yeah yeah but you know what? The team was great. Um, there were how many of us? I think there were eight, four buggies and and the leader. And we went well, to there the- were more than four buggies. But were there? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, but the leader wasn't like four buggies that were guests. No. No, I think there were about seven oh, in total. Okay, and we drove to the highest point. Yeah. Uh, on the island. Yeah, and took some pictures from up there. Yeah. And actually, one of the pictures looks down onto the restaurant that we showed you last week. Yeah, from Farmara. The, yeah. The big cliff. Yeah. So we were on top, and they wore, they suggested that you bring one of the jackets that they provided. And Glad you we were did. All, you were all macho-y, and I said, no, take it, take it, take uh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> up there, it's cool. Yeah, but I didn't wear their goggles. <laughs> Not wearing <laughs> goggles. <laughs> well, no, come on. But you wore your sunglasses. Yeah, I wore my sunglasses, but everybody's wearing these goofy goggles. I'm not wearing goggles. 
I have a tough enough time wearing goggles when I'm skiing. I hate goggles. <laughs> well, you did an excellent uh, job driving us around, and we saw some really cool countryside. Oh, the terrain. Some of it was just like, is this thing going to make it over these rocks? And it just did. They were fun. That's what I thought. Yeah, no. It was, sometimes it was a bit dicey. It was like, we're going to be going over that? Really? Yeah, it was great. I loved it. Like, I'd do that, I'd do that all day long. That was fun for me. Oh. Um, but and, and thanks for, you know, biting the bullet because I knew you were uncomfortable with a lot of the terrain, especially the cliff stuff. And what, yeah. what did you read after we got back? And I'm glad you read this after. Yeah. This past summer, there was a woman who plunged to her death in a buggy. In oh. a she and her daughter uh, didn't make it. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I, I honestly don't know how that can happen. The one thing is, and they, they tell you. Stay five meters back from the guy in front of you, and and that is important, especially because the dust kicks up. Yeah, and also, don't yank the steering wheel. You can't just go boom. Well, and another thing is keep two hands on the steering wheel oh, yeah. because if if it hits a rock, it will pull the, mm. the steering, yep. and you got to be – you can't be nonchalant and, you know – with yeah. one hand and it's true like it it will yank you so yeah there are some things you have to beware of and just it's like skydiving though like honestly it's if you follow all the rules of skydiving you'll never have a problem you know it's it's this just it's i think people tend to panic and that's when you run into trouble true but that's that wraps up our our two-part series on Lanzarote. Mm-hmm. I, I hope you're enjoying the photos on the Facebook page. We got a whole new fifty or so huh. to put up there for huh. this week uh, about the wine industry and the buggies and everything. And uh, we really hope you enjoy it. If you ever get the opportunity to go to the Canary Islands, we highly recommend it mm-hmm. uh, because it's just it's something you'll never see anywhere well, on this it, earth. It's unique. It's, it's very it's a unique. different landscape. It's a different culture. It's it, it's just. It's not. It's not the Caribbean, uh, and right. it's not mainland right. Spain. And to think, once you land, especially that there is a burgeoning wine industry among all of this crater volcanic ash, is mind-numbing. But I'll tell you what: if you want a tour, go to El Grifo, and you will be quite surprised with how interesting, uh, how fascinating. Not only the tour is, but how. You know the overall wine industry in Lanzarote. Yeah, the process is you can't compare it to anything. No, no, it's it's and and it is it's it's very different from anything in the world, in ter- from all areas, the growth, you know, the vinification, all of it. But check it all out. We had a great time. Uh, we hope you did. And uh, join us next week for episode one hundred and three, a brand new chapter <laughs> of Jeff and Julie move to France during a global pandemic. Au revoir.